Paul was in prison. In prison in Rome. While he was in prison, there was so much on his mind. He was concerned about the individuals. He was concerned about the churches. We know that he wrote three letters to churches. The letters of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. He also wrote one personal letter to Philemon, who evidently lived in or around Colossae. As Paul wrote these letters, he wanted to impress upon them the importance of the church. He wanted to impress upon them the importance of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. He wanted to impress upon those congregations how they ought to live in their everyday lives. We're now to the last chapter of the book of Colossians. And Paul, as he is wrapping up this letter, is wanting to focus their minds on a very practical matter. How do you say things? In my life personally, there have been a number of what I consider to be very strong, faithful gospel preachers who have been such an encouragement, been great mentors. I think about men like Brother William Woodson, who spoke here several times. His knowledge of God's Word was second to none. I think of Brother Winford Claiborne and that beautiful baritone voice that he had and the speaking ability to speak with such clarity and to be able to articulate a message that was just right to the point. But when I think about somebody who had the right word to say at just the right time, I think of a man that many of you know very well or knew very well, Brother Stanley James Albert McEnry. We referred to him as Brother Mac. The last several years he lived in McMinnville. He was a member here at Bobby Branch. I would go with him on occasions to the hospital, to the funeral home, and even to the homes of members. And Brother Mike had a way of saying the right word at the right time in the right way. Have you ever wished that you could always just have the right thing to say? I do. I'll confess a great failure in my life is... When I go to funerals or to the hospital, I really wish I had just the right word to give people that word of encouragement they need. Several years ago, Brother Cleon Lyles wrote a book, and the title of it was, I Wish I Had Said That. You know, afterwards, I can hear somebody say something and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's just the way you put it. But I wish I had that ability to to think ahead and to say just the right thing. You know, Solomon pictured it in this way in the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. 
You say just the right thing at the right time, and that can make a difference in a person's life. You take a young person who's trying to learn how to preach. You just say the right thing, and all you spur them on. Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Just like a beautiful piece of jewelry is when a person is able to say just the right thing at the right time. Well, as you go to Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, going through verse 6, Paul will look at three things. He's going to talk about uh, the words that they're going to say. Verse 2 is going to talk about praying words. Verses 3 and 4 preaching words, and then verses 5 and 6, pleasant or pleasing words. Let's jump into our study this morning. Verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Do you realize what a great privilege that you and I enjoy in being able to even address our Heavenly Father. You know, in the world in which we live today, those who are higher and above us, many of us sometimes don't even get to meet those people. I would say of this audience, probably one or two, if that many, has ever met a President of the United States. Of those who are here this morning, if you have met one of them, you may have gotten to say, hello, how are you? but most of us have not had a personal conversation. Do you realize the God that created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them listens to what you say to Him? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. God really cares about what's going on in your life. You say, I'm having a tough time. I have family members that are sick. I have family members who are near death and I'm concerned about them. Maybe your job is on the line. You're concerned. Your Heavenly Father cares what's going on with you. He wants you to talk with Him. And thus Paul will present three characteristics of the kind of praying words that God wants. He wants ones that are persistent, that is, that they are delivered more than once. He wants them that are perceptive, that is, they are vigilant. And then he wants words that are appreciative, expressing thanksgiving. Let's look at those three for just a second. One thing that you realize as you go through the Bible is that God wants us to pray and pray often. Continue earnestly. That means persistently. That means we intently engage in it. In fact, when you start doing a word study of just the word continue there, you start finding its association with and connection with prayer. You remember in Acts 6, they were choosing men to serve as deacons. 
The apostles said we can't take time to serve the tables. But they said what we will do, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, a man of God, a woman of God is a praying person, praying frequently, praying often. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, pray without ceasing. Luke 18 and verse 1, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep praying to God each and every day. I could go on and mention others. Daniel prayed three times a day, opening his windows toward Jerusalem. You and I ought to be the kind of people that do address our Heavenly Father. But then he says, the prayers should be perceptive, being vigilant in it. The word vigilant means to be watchful, to be attentive. Let me illustrate it, if you will. Jesus used the idea in Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has gone a short distance from Peter, James, and John. And then he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those disciples were expected to pray and to watch. A young person told me several years ago when I was preaching on this passage, do you mean that means that we can keep our eyes open during prayer? Yes. Many of us close our eyes lest we be distracted. But Jesus told them to watch and pray. Watch for what's coming at you. Watch what might come and bring about some problems. In 1 Peter 4 verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. When things are getting difficult, when you know there are problems on the horizon. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, the devil would love to have you. You pray to God, you ask for strength, you ask and you are earnest in it. Perceptive in what one is facing and that for which one asks. Then appreciation. Being thankful for what you and I have with thanksgiving. Our prayers should always reflect a thankful heart. I'm somewhat disturbed when I hear children always give me this, give me that. Because they turn into adults who believe, give me this, give me that. It's always wonderful to see within a child when he's given something to say, thank you. It's always wonderful to hear a prayer prayed. 
where the prayer is spent thanking God for what he has given as much as asking for God to give us that which we want. Philippians 4 verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our thanks is not only for the blessings that come from God, but from man as well. Do you know that most of the enjoyable things that I have been privileged to have in this life have come from my brethren? And they have come from living in a country where people have respect for God. When Paul wrote Timothy in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications... Prayers, intersections, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Yes, I'm thankful for leaders who have allowed us to have a world of peace, at least within our realm. But now, second of all, Paul wants to talk about some preaching words. Look with me now at verses 3 and 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul is here saying, pray for us. I know how I feel, and I believe I know how the elders feel, that every time someone comes to this pulpit and offers a prayer and prays, asking for God's blessings to be upon those of us who preach, I appreciate that. And I believe the elders appreciate your praying for them as well. But Paul is saying, I want you to pray for us But there's something specific here. That a door for the word may be opened. Brethren, the Lord's church has got to grow. The only way that you and I can make disciples is to go into all the world and we've got to preach the gospel. According to Matthew 28, 19, you make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The only way that we can do that is if somebody opens their door to us, opens their door to you. Maybe we're not praying enough for opportunities, for doors. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have people opposing us. But, brethren, we've got to pray for open doors. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, 
And a door was opened to me by the Lord. Pray for open doors. Paul said that I may preach the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ that he has already explained in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He says, but now it has been revealed to them God will to make known what are the riches of his glory among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God wants us to preach to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that Christ in us is his hope of glory. But you see, there's a problem. Paul's in chains. As I open the lesson, Paul's in Rome and he's in chains. That doesn't stop Paul from speaking. He says, pray that I ought to speak or make it manifest as I ought. I like the way he put it when he wrote the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly. And to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. Don't hold back. Tell people the truth. Make sure they understand. Praying words. Preaching words. Pleasing words. Look with me now at verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. You do know that Paul is making a distinction between those who are on the inside, that is those of us who are Christians, and those who are on the outside, those who are not Christians. How we ought to be concerned, how we are perceived by outsiders. After all, we're trying to convert them. When you and I go to the post office, When we go to the grocery store, when we go to the appliance store, wherever we go, we take the name of Jesus with us. People look at us and they say, they are a member of the church of Christ. If I go and I am mean I am hateful, I am harsh, you know what I'm doing? I'm hurting the cause. If I go and I am pleasant and I am kind, I'm trying to demonstrate what God would have me to be. Let me give you a passage of scripture which I think would be helpful. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is describing an assembly 
the church coming together like we are this morning. And he's describing a situation where there are people there who have the miraculous gifts. Now, we don't have those today, but in their day they did. And he described how people who were not a member of the body of Christ would look at and say they saw while they were there. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and is convicted by all and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. He said when a man comes in, he can look and he can tell by what he sees. Do you know that when visitors come into our assembly, they form an opinion by what they see? Let me tell you what they see a lot of times. They see people who are not interested in the worship service. They're not singing. They're fiddling with everything else but the Bible. There are some people who come in and what do they see? They see people who the day before were doing things that they know the preacher's preaching against today. And sometimes you go into an assembly though and they look and they see joyful singing. They see fervent prayers. And they see that when a passage of Scripture is discussed, that people's hearts and their minds are focused. What would people say about our assembly this morning? Would our visitors say, truly God is among this people because they are devoted and they are worshiping? Or would they look and they say, I don't think I'm coming back. What have you said to our visitors? Ephesians 5 verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Folks, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Sometimes a person will only walk in our building one time. Sometimes people's only opportunity to be introduced to the gospel of Christ is one time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So now Paul's going to be specific. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Let it always be with grace. People know what grace means. Grace means God's unmerited favor. But what does it mean when I have grace or you have grace? The lexicon says a winning quality or attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction Graciousness, attractiveness, charm. 
I thought about how to put it in our language. It's basically being like a southern person. Hi, how are y'all doing? I can remember as a child when you met anybody on the road, you throwed up your hand and waved. You were a person always wanting to make the other person feel welcome to approach you. That's graciousness. That's charm. Let your speech be with grace when you feel good. No, let your speech always be with grace. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Now, I know what sodium means to your diet. And I understand that there needs to be a limitation of it. I understand that sometimes we as Americans consume too much of it. But when you read Mark 9 and verse 50, he says, salt is good. Why is it good? It's good because it seasons. It makes things have a better taste. But if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. You know, you've got a fresh slice of a homegrown tomato. You're going to put it on the sandwich. It's got to have a little bit of salt. Just got to have a little bit of it. To add to that flavor. When you and I are in the company of other people, our speech needs to have that little bit of flavor that makes it a little better. He says how you ought to answer each one. Answer. That's a specific word. Answer. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense, the King James American Standard, answer to every man that asks the reason of hope that is within you yet with meekness and fear. People will want to know, who are you? What do you believe? Why do you believe it? How do you answer that question? will depend greatly on whether or not they express interest in finding out any further. Praying words, preaching words, pleasant words. Our words can be good, our words can be bad. I think about the kind of words that, for instance, are found in the book of Malachi. Malachi 2.17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Or chapter 3, verse 13, your words have been harsh against me. Oh yeah, people even talk to God in a bad way. Anybody been rude to you lately? Have you been rude to anybody lately? What God is saying to the church at Colossae 
and a letter coming from a prison. How are you talking to God? How are you talking to people? What are you saying? Choose your words carefully. Ecclesiastes 12.10 The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was written was upright words of truth. You try to find the right words to be able to encourage, to inspire, to motivate people. And that's what Paul was talking about. We're going to sing the song number 767, Who at the Door is Standing. In our audience this morning, I'm certain there has to be some who are not yet Christians. You know what the plan of salvation involves. It involves our believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Acts 8 verse 37. It involves our repenting of our sins, turning our back on the things that we've done and with a change of mind resulting in a change of heart and conduct. Acts 17 verses 30 and 31. It involves our confessing the name of Jesus before people. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. Then to be baptized. That means to be immersed, put under water, and then raised to walk a new life. Acts 2 verse 38, Acts 22 verse 16. And some of us are Christians. And we quit walking with the Lord. And we need to fix things in our lives. We can pray with you this morning. Would you come as together we stand and sing?